0: Thank you, choir. Wonderful, wonderful song tonight. Can I say, I, I, I think the singing was good on Sunday night. I think the singing was good on Monday night. But I think the singing was exceptionally good tonight. That, any anybody agree with that? Any witnesses? Maybe not. Maybe you're like, where's this guy coming from? <laughs> About the same place I'll be headed to in a couple hours, I guess. So, uh, uh-oh, they just cut me off. Uh-oh. Okay. I'll try to be nice the rest of the night. I promise. Let me uh, make a few comments just before I begin tonight. Very uh, Church, thank you for being here this week and on Sunday night and Monday morning, Monday night, Tuesday morning, and now tonight. And uh, thank you so much. And I'm going to apologize one more time. I uh, was not the scheduled speaker, Brother Jerry Ross was, and uh, I knew I had bigger shoes to fill than than I could possibly fill. But uh, when Brother Mitchell called me, I want to do my best to be a help. And uh, so I'm glad that uh, we had an opportunity to come. I've had a wonderful time. My wife had a great time, and she uh, felt bad that she had to leave yesterday. But I uh, was able to get her back and uh, continue on, and uh, God has just been good. And I just want to thank you, everyone. Pastor and Mrs. Mitchell took us out on Sunday night, and uh, that was wonderful. And the Ramesses took us out for lunch yesterday, and I went over their their place last night after church, and Brother John took me out for lunch this afternoon. Bless his heart, he said, Pastor Girl, I've got a couple questions for you. And uh, he asked me one that was kind of, in my mind, a loaded question. So I said, oh, this is going to take a while. And he was so kind and gracious that he sat there and listened to my response while his soup was getting cold. And I could only imagine by the time he got there, it had to be about as cold as my, my Coke was that was sitting in front of me. And uh, just, just so kind. We had a wonderful time at lunch. And thank you, John, for that. And thank you for the accommodations, the love offering, the snacks in our room. And uh, you have just been overly gracious once again. So thank you very much for making myself and even my wife feel right at home while we were here. I see a long-time friend of mine, Alan Zwolinski, back here tonight. Alan, thanks for coming tonight. And uh, he's got a friend that, uh, that attends here. And uh, the last time I came, Alan came and heard me preach. And I thought he might be one and done, but he came back again tonight. So, Alan, thanks for coming. I appreciate that. We uh, went to church together in Lake Station for, for several years. And I'll never forget, we had an issue one time. And uh, had a gentleman that was uh, threatening to take our pastor down. And uh, he said, I'm going to bring a gun tonight. And he said... If you see me, you know exactly what I'm there for. And I, I got a call from Alan that Sunday afternoon. And he said, Kevin, I got a question for you. He said, whose side are you on? And I said, what's going on? I, didn't, I, don't, I was oblivious. I'm still oblivious. You know what I'm saying? I'm always the last guy to know. And he said, oh, something's going on between this guy and pastor. And he said, uh, I just need to know. And I said, well, I'll let you know right now. I said, that guy sits right across the aisle from me every service. I'll make sure I'm across the aisle from him. And if he gets out of that aisle, if he gets out of that seat, even if he needs to use the restroom, I said, I'm taking him down. Don't, don't worry about me. I will take him down. And Alan said, I just need to know who's side you're on, Kevin. And I said, you shouldn't even ask me that. He should have known that. He said, no, no. He said, it's getting kind of crazy. And uh, he came that night, and, uh, but everything was good. I think probably every man in the church probably was packing that night. And uh, <laughs> so I felt right at home. But uh, thank you all for being here tonight got an interesting message tonight but i'm convinced it's the one that god would have me to preach i want to preach on this title tonight or this topic hurting but still serving god i heard a preacher say years ago he said if if you're going to do anything for god mark it down you're probably going to do so hurting in Acts chapter 20 and verse 22 the bible says and now behold i go bound in the spirit unto jerusalem not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. We get to Second Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 8, and Paul said, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves. 2 Corinthians 7, 5, Paul said, for when we were coming to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul said in verse number 24, I'll go back to verse 23, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more and labors more abundant and stripes above measure and prisons more frequent and deaths oft. Of the Jews five times received I 40 stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I was shipwrecked, a night and a day have I been in the deep. And journeyings often, and perils of water, and perils of robbers, and perils by my own countrymen. Perils by the heathen, and perils in the city, and perils in the wilderness, and perils in the sea, and perils among false brethren. And weariness, and painfulness, and watchings often, and hunger, and thirst, and fastings often, and cold and nakedness. Besides those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches." And my last passage I'm going to read is found in Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 12. Paul said, For I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And made the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of good will. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, Supposing to add affliction to my bonds. As you will know, Paul was an amazing servant of God. Yet in his ministry, he experienced much hurt. But by the grace of God, he was able to pen these words. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. Here's what Paul did. Paul said, I'm going to serve the Lord even while hurting. Heavenly Father, help us tonight. Help us as we look at a couple thoughts tonight. Pray that you'd give us good insight and discernment into your word tonight. And God, I pray that you'd just meet with us in a special way. Thank you for the meetings we've had thus far and for the attendance and the faithfulness of your people. God, meet with us in a special way tonight. As the songwriter said, all is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One come down. Meet with us tonight. May you be the one that receives the honor and glory for all that's said and done. May you help each and every person that's here. Heal every every heart, we pray. and God, we thank you for the songs of praise that have been lifted you tonight. I thank you for that. I pray that you would be the one that would receive the glory tonight. Thank you for bringing us to this place, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Probably a silly question. Have you ever been hurt? (laughs) In church? By church people? Maybe in the past? Hopefully in the distance past, amen. Maybe even in the present. I have a man in my church, and I don't don't believe in luck, okay? I don't believe in good luck. I don't believe in bad luck. But I do believe in Murphy's Law. (laughs) Anything that can go wrong (laughs) will go wrong. I have a man in my church, bless his heart, that if there's ever been a person in my life that I have watched and seen fulfill Murphy's Law, it would be this gentleman, If anything in his life could go wrong, it does, and it has, and I can even say this, it is. (laughs) Physically speaking, financially speaking, emotionally speaking, I mean, I don't know that I've ever seen one person over a period of years suffer as much as this man has suffered. I mean, one hurt after the next. Yet every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, He's usually one of the first people in that auditorium that'll say, preacher, how you doing tonight? And I can tell you, Brother Brother Ramos, how many times I'll just start laughing and say, sir, the question isn't how I'm doing. (laughs) The question is, how are you doing? He said, no, no, stop turning it towards me. You always do that. This is not about me, Pastor. This is about you. I said, look, I'm doing fine. So how are you doing? Let's not go there, Pastor. This is not about me. This is about you. You don't want to know how I'm doing tonight. He said to me the other day, he said, uh, he said, Pastor, how long do you think you're going to be here? And I I said, well, I said, I I hope at least until I'm 65. Hopefully they'll give me a few more years and maybe I won't have worn worn my welcome up by then. And he looked at me and he said, he said, okay. He said, I think I can make it that long. (laughs) I said, I certainly hope so. I said, I'm depending on you. He said, Pastor, you don't know how hard it gets sometimes. He said, I have hurts in every area of my life. And this is what I tell him: Just keep serving God. Just keep serving God. Pastor Earl, how, how is it possible that you can hurt but still serve God? Well, I've got a few thoughts tonight. I'm just gonna start with number one. Can I say this? We've gotta make up our minds that we're gonna refuse to allow hurts to stop us. Here's what Paul said in Acts chapter 20. I just read a couple of the verses. He said that he knew that everywhere he went, one thing he had in common, bonds and afflictions were waiting for him. It didn't matter what city. It didn't matter what country. It seemed like wherever he went, bonds, and afflictions, trouble was waiting for him. But here's what he said in Acts 20, 24. He said, but none of these things move me. Neither count of my life, dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. You know what I admire about the Apostle Paul? He said, I refuse to let hurt stop me. There's probably people that could be here tonight and should be here tonight, but they've been hurt. And sometimes we respond incorrectly when hurt comes our way. I'll tell you one thing that we need to do with hurt. We need to refuse to let hurt stop us. It didn't stop the Lord Jesus Christ. He went to Calvary's cross. I went to the Holy Land back in the year 2000. Probably the three areas that were most meaningful to me was when we saw outside of the city gates there in Jerusalem Calvary's hill we sit on the the old wall of Jerusalem partially broken down and you literally could look at Golgotha and you could see the place of a skull literally imprinted in the side of that hill right there unmistakable we went to the tomb area and we went there on a Sunday morning and they had an early morning service there as the sun was coming up and we we sat through that service and then we held our own service there and to, to spend a Sunday morning at the tomb was just unforgettable but the day that we, we walked the Via Dolorosa, where Jesus walked, with the cross on his back as he was heading to Calvary's Hill, and as we walked down that little path that they believe was fairly close to where Jesus walked, I can't imagine the pain that he was feeling that day. And I think the hurt for our sin. And the hurt of our sin was far greater than the weight of that cross. He was about to become sin for us. And even though he was hurting, he finished what he came to do. My Bible says, the author and the finisher of our faith. Pastor, what do you do with hurt? Here's one thing you do. Refuse to let hurt stop you. Number two, can I say this? Remember what Jesus said. I think I mentioned this last night. I'm preaching through the Sermon on the Mount at our church on Sunday morning, and I, I, there is no greater sermon than Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Greatest sermon by the greatest preacher, but some of it's pretty tough. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, but I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Pastor Crow, what do you, what do you what do you do when, when people hurt you? Well, let's just do this. Let's remember what Jesus said. He said, love your enemies. Uh, on Wednesday night, I'm preaching through the book of Psalms. And, and I've read through the book of Psalms many, many times. But I have never realized since I've been preaching through the book of Psalms, how many times David or the, the, the writer of the book of Psalms mentioned how many enemies he had. How many adversaries he's had? In some cases, it's just over and over. It's almost like a broken record. And yet Jesus said we're to love our enemies. I mean, I I can love people that reciprocate love. I can love people that love me. He didn't say to love people that are unlovable. He said to love people that you would consider an enemy. Then he said, bless them that curse you. I mean, we kind of like to get even with people. You know, we like to even the score a little bit. Jesus said, oh, no, no, no. He said, you're to bless them that curse you. Then he said, we're to do good to them that hate us. I knew a pastor that uh, used to travel out of town quite a bit and preach. And he said that when he knew he had an enemy, he would find something and he would try to find people that could kind of give him an idea what things this man really liked. And when he was on one of his travels to a distant city in a different state, he would mail this this, this enemy of his some packages with things that he knew were were near and dear, things that he wanted, and he didn't put a return address on it. He had no way to track it down. And he said, I have literally sent packages all over this country, and I haven't gotten one single thank you note, because I didn't put my name on it. He said, I was just trying to do good to those that hated me. But then the Bible says this, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. I was a youth pastor over in Lake Station, Indiana years ago and I was just a layman. I didn't get paid. I wasn't on staff. I was just, my wife taught in the Christian school and so I was working, selling insurance and I was just the the, the lay youth pastor and I I don't know why, but I had a couple of youth workers. In fact, one of my youth worker couples was Kenny and Cindy Voglund. Anybody remember Kenny and Cindy Voglund? They were, <laughs> I uh, came with him one day, we were walking through the hallways here and uh, he, he was kind of like, either you loved him or you just did, it all depended on what side you fell on. We were walking down the hallway one day and he said to me, he said, Kevin, don't pay attention to what anybody says to me. He said, some people like me, some people don't. My brother fired me. He said, I guess I wasn't a very good custodian. So he said, some people just will never forget that. So he said, whatever they say to me, we're just walking to my brother's office, so don't let it, even let it bother you. And, and, and we came through there, and everybody said, oh, Kenny, oh, Kenny, good to see you, good to see you. And I said, we got to, to, to your dad's office, and I said, everybody was nice to you. He said, that's because I was with you. I said, they don't even know me. They have no idea who I am. And uh, anyways, I had another couple that worked with me. And I don't know why, but this individual went to my pastor on two different occasions and tried to get me in trouble. I think he tried to get me to to lose my position. And my pastor did the worst thing he could have done. He not only told me the issue, he told me who brought the issue to him. Why did he do that? Just tell me, don't, don't put a face and a name with it. That's worse. So he said, here's the issue, Kevin. And he said, this is so-and-so. He brought it to me. He said, I just want to hear your side of the story. And I told my side of the story. And he said, okay, we're good. Okay, praise the Lord. A couple months later, I'm back in his office again. He said, hey, Kevin, another issue came up. And I said, same guy? Yeah, same guy. Here's the issue, different issue. And uh, I I explained the situation to him. And he said, okay, we're good. No, 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 you're good. Not me. This is two times in a row. What's going on? My pastor's wife came to me after that service. She said, Kevin, she said, I hear you're having an issue with somebody in the church. How'd you hear? Oh, the pastor told you. She said, I think I can help you. And I said, what's that? She said, here's what you need to do. You need to pray for him. Do you have chapter and verse on that one? She said, "I do. How about Matthew five forty four? Don't go there. That, that doesn't count. That that I, I'm I'm looking for the exclusion on that one. That one does not apply to me." She said, "Oh no, it does. It does." And she said, "Here's what's going to happen. She said, when you begin to pray that way, here's what's going to happen. She said, God's going to change the way you feel towards him." I said, "Okay, I'm going to put it to the test." I did. I started praying for him by name. I didn't pray for God to judge him. I didn't pray for God to give him an incurable disease. I didn't do that. I started to pray for him. And you'll never guess what happened. My heart started to change. And this is all about the time that my dad's cancer was getting worse. And my dad passed away. And we were making the decision whether we should move to Michigan or not. And, and, And this guy came to me right at that same time. And, and he said, Kevin, is there any way that we could go out to lunch before you go to Michigan? And I said, absolutely. So uh, we went to lunch in Miraville and uh, had, a, had a good time at lunch. And, and, and I made sure that I paid for the meal. I didn't want to give him one more thing. <laughs> I didn't want to give him any more ammunition. Apparently, I already gave him. And so we went to lunch. And he looked at me and he said, I, I just need one thing. I just need your forgiveness. He said, I went to Pastor Beth on two occasions. I don't know if you knew that or not. Well, let's not go there, but yes, I did. (laughs) did. But I said, it's okay, it's okay. And I said, I've already forgiven you. When I started praying for you, I I said, God, help me to forgive him. And this is how only God can work. Four or five years ago, he had been teaching in a Christian school and, and, and they were leaving that ministry. We had a need for a Christian school teacher. And I called him, and I said, hey, I said, uh, you recognize the voice? And he said, yeah, I do. He said, that's you, isn't it, Kevin? Oh, no, Pastor Crawl, Pastor Kroll. And uh, I said, yeah, it's me. And he said, can I help you? And I said, I hope so. I said, I'm looking for a Christian school teacher. And I said, I've been praying for the last couple of weeks. And I said, you're the only person that God's brought on my mind. And he said, I just accepted a different position. But he said, can I just say this? thank you. Thank you. And you know what I said? I said, can I just remind you? That's what God does. God took a situation for a man that I could have just kind of brushed him to the side and said, man, if you got issues with me, I've got issues with you. My pastor said, no, 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 just start praying for him. Start praying for him. What did the Bible say, we're to pray for them which despitefully use us and persecute us. I promise you that when I started praying for him, the, the thought never crossed my mind that one day I might give him a staff position at my church. That sure was the last thing on my mind, Brother Eric. I would have never said, if you'd have said, hey, you're going to hire that guy one day, I would be been like, no way, Jose. But God knew. And when God changed my heart, I realized I've, I've done things in the past I probably shouldn't have done. Things that I would like people to forgive me for. You know what happens when you're hurting? Refuse to let it stop you. Remember what Jesus said. Number three, can I say this? Learn to rely on God's strength. You know what Paul said? He said, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Can I say this? Rely on God's strength. Paul said, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities. Anybody remember Dr. RB Willett? Does that name ring a bell? I'm sure you've heard that Dr. Willett has had throat cancer. Was out preaching uh, for several months, and they went in and removed his voice box and literally gave him a voice box transplant. I heard his last message. I was there last October when he preached his last message right before his surgery. His voice was, was kind of hard. He basically spoke with a whisper. And if he turned his back and walked to one side of the platform, there was kind of a, a disconnect there, and it was hard to really hear because it was just such a, almost a whisper. He had a surgery, I think, was back in, in November. And he just preached a message a few weeks ago at First Baptist Church in Bridgeport. And he preached on this thought. Therefore, I take pleasure and infirmities. When he preaches now, he has to hold his throat. Apparently there's a little button or knob right there that he has to hold the entire time he talks. Preached a message probably over 35 minutes long. I've heard Brother Willett preach on many, many occasions, and I've oftentimes said he's probably one of the finest pulpiteers of our day. And I saw that man up there holding his throat I said, that man has no quit in his body. Do you know how easy it would be to say, God, okay, I've done everything I can do. We we went the doctor's route, and we we, we did the chemo, we did the radiation, and they're having to do a voice box transplant. I I think maybe you're telling me it's just time to go into retirement. Not him. As long as he's got the breath to breathe, even if he has to hold his throat the entire time he speaks. He's not going to let his hurt stop him. He's relying on God's grace, God's strength. Number four, can I say this? Presque, what do you do when you're hurting and you want to keep serving God? Make sure you respond with grace. We've talked about our words this week, and can I say this? Our words are so important. When the Bible says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, that is so true. And, and Paul put it this way in Colossians 4, 6, he said, let your speech be all way with grace. And I love the next phrase, seasoned with salt. Now, I'm kind of, I've kind of crossed that threshold and, and salt's not good for you, so I just try to season everything with pepper. You know what I'm saying? It's just, I'm... I'm the pepper kind of guy now, and so if I'm sitting there, and you know, I, I'll, I'll leave the salt shaker alone, and I'll just put pepper on everything because my wife's gonna, you know, say, push the salt shaker aside. But uh, I worked at McDonald's for two and a half years. Worked there in high school, worked there in college, and man, there is nothing like McDonald's fries <laughs> coated with salt. I mean, two old beef patties, special sauce, these cheese, pickles on a sesame seed bun. Big Macs are okay too. I'm not. I'm not downgrading them. But there's just something about McDonald's fries, but if you ever go through drive through and there's not enough salt on them, they don't taste right. They, they've got to be coated with salt. God said, that's who our words need to be. Our words should be so salty that people say, boy, that sounded good. I was talking with a guy one time, and he was reprimanding me. But he said it in such a nice way I couldn't tell for probably five minutes if he was rebuking me or if he was actually commending me. I couldn't tell. Then I said, that's how you rebuke somebody where they can't even tell the difference. Can I say this? May we respond with grace. Well, sometimes if we're not careful, the first thing that comes to mind, that's not the spirit, that's the flesh. We better make sure we respond with Grace. Pastor, how is it possible to hurt and keep serving God? Number five, can I say this? Reflect more on what God has done for you than what others have done to you. You know, sometimes we we, we keep score, and sometimes if we're not careful, we will spend more time, we'll focus more time and attention on what people have said about us and done to us rather than on what God has done for us. Colossians 3, or I'm sorry, um, Lamentations 3, 22 says, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fell not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Do you know the best thing about tomorrow morning might very well be that when you get up first thing in the morning, God's mercies are brand new for you. And when you get up on Thursday, his mercies are brand new. You don't have to rely on yesterday's mercies. He's gonna give them to you brand new every day. His faithfulness is great. You say, Pastor Crowell, I have been hurt so many times over and over and over again. I feel like I'm the whipping boy of Fairhaven Baptist Church. Can I encourage you? Reflect more on what God has done for you than what others have done to you. Number six, can I say this? Resist the urge to quit. David said this in Psalm chapter 12 and verse one. He said, help Lord for the godly Man ceaseth. For the faithful fail from among the children of men. When uh, Tammy and I went to the ministry, I uh, was at Lake Station, and I'll never forget when my, my dad was, was getting close to the point of dying. My, my prayer was that God would heal my dad. I was just convinced he was going to heal him. And he did, he just chose to do it in heaven rather than here. So I said, I'm not praying about my future until I know what's going on with my dad's future. So when my dad passed away, I told Tammy, I said, I'm going to start praying about potentially going to Beth Haven Baptist Church. But I said, I want you to pray about it too. Because I said, if both of us don't feel that's what God wants, then we're going to stay here. I said, this is a huge step for both of us. If I take you out of out of your, your teaching position we move we kind of burn this bridge it's not like we can come back and it's just not going to be the same so it, 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 it's a one-time decision so we either make the decision or we don't so i said let's take as much time as we need we prayed for two weeks and i didn't have any clarity she didn't have any clarity and uh we hadn't even discussed it we were praying separately two more weeks went by we've been praying for four weeks and uh I was in a Sunday morning. I, I was doing my Sunday school class with the teens, and my, my wife came into the Sunday school class, and Tammy never came into my Sunday school class. She had her own Sunday school class, and she came down the hallway, and your uncle again, this is Mr. Kenny Knight, said, here comes Mrs. Pastor. Here she comes, Mrs. Pastor's wife. And she looked at Kenny and said, if that's what God wants me to be, that's what I'm willing to be taught my class, went our way, went home that afternoon, and I, I said, Tammy, I said, uh, you made a comment to Kenny today, and she said, yeah, she said, just as I was praying this weekend, she said, I felt like God said we need to go. I said, well, that's what we need to do. So we made a pact with each other that we wouldn't quit unless we both wanted to resign on the same day. So I We'd been there five years, ten years, and my wife came to me and said, I don't know about you, but I'm ready to quit. I said, I'm not ready to quit yet. She said, okay. A couple more years went by, and she came to me again, and she said, I'm ready to quit. I'm not ready to quit yet. A couple years went by, I went to her one day and said, I don't know about you, I'm, I'm done. I am so done. I'm ready to quit. She said, I'm not ready to quit now. Four or five years ago, she came to me and said, I'm ready to quit. I said, me too. She said, no. I said, yeah. I said, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I think I've heard the last comment that I want to hear. I, I, I think I've dealt with the last problem that I want to deal with. I said, you know, we, we, we've been here for 20 plus years. And I said, maybe it's just time to hand it over to somebody else. She said, you're serious. I said, I'm dead serious. I said, I've been hurting for a while. Other people have left ministries. I'd looked in the sword of the Lord, and there are a couple pastoral opportunities in the sword of the Lord. In fact, somebody sent me one one day, and there were 400 pastoral opportunities, 400 churches looking for pastors. I said, well, God, I, I can certainly find one out of 400. Tammy said, uh, should we write the letter? I said, sure, let's write it out." She said, should we sign the letter? I said, well, let's do one thing before we sign it. Let's ask God what we should do. She said, well, what if he changes our mind? (laughs) Then we stay. You'll not believe this. He changed our mind. (laughs) I didn't get probably 30 seconds into my prayer, and I knew it wasn't God's will. It was my will. And David said, help, Lord, for the godly man ceases; for the faithful fail from among the children of men. David had watched godly men quit. David had watched faithful men fail. And I believe it was ripping David's heart out. And he said, God, he said, we need help. We need help from heaven. He said, the godly men, the faithful men, they're falling by the wayside, God. We need help. Number seven, when you're hurting Remind yourself who the real enemy is. See, the devil wants you to think that it's the person you're going to church with or the person that you used to go to church with. The devil wants you to think that the enemy is the person that hurt you or your family or somebody that you loved and cared about. And the devil wants you to forget that he's the real enemy, that those that are in flesh and blood are not the real enemy. They're just being used by the real enemy. Man, I've had some people, I've had some pickles in my church over the years, Brother Ramus, and I've said to myself, That's the enemy. And God said, what are you talking about? They're not the enemy. They're just being used by the enemy. My Bible says, be sober, be vigilant for your adversary, the devil. That's the real enemy. That's the one who doesn't want unity in a church. That's the one who doesn't want harmony in church. That's the one who doesn't want marriages to be successful and families to be godly. He's the real enemy. It, but we're sometimes so short-sighted that we think that it's the person, we think it's the flesh and blood, we think it's the person that mentioned those comments and made those statements and, and caused that hurt, but they're not the real enemy. They're just being used by the real enemy. Number eight, can I say this? Refuse to let decisions that other people made Destroy your life. Preach on Abram on Sunday night, and when Abram watched Lot make a wrong, foolish decision and pitch his tent towards Sodom, I'm convinced that Abram understood and he knew that Lot made a wrong decision. He made a foolish, carnal decision. He was far more concerned about his cattle than he was his own kids. And I think think Abram looked at that and said, what a foolish decision. And while Lot was pitching his tent, Abram was building an altar. While I was looking at the, the well-watered plains of Jordan, just like it was in Egypt, and when that said, oh, this is a great place, and maybe I can trade with the people in Saturn Gomorrah and maybe I can make gain, and maybe I can just increase my flocks and my herds, and what a great place to live. Abram knew, hey, he is destroying his life. But I'm not going to destroy mine just because he destroyed his. Fred Baptist Church, can I say this? If for whatever reason you ever leave this ministry, make sure you do so only because God's instructed you to do so. I've watched more families leave a church disgruntled, and in almost every case, they take a family or two with them. And when they do, I think God takes notice of that. And I think one day they're going to give an account for that had a man that left my church, and he started a church about 30 minutes down the road, and he said, preacher, what do you think about me starting a church down the road? And I said, I don't think God's in it. Took three of our families, and I told him, I said, I think families from our church are gonna go your way, and I said, I'm not so sure that it's gonna last that long, and I said, I think you're doing it for all the wrong reasons, and I said, I'm not, I'm not mad at you, and I'm not, I'm not preaching against you, but I said, I, I just think that your, your motives are in the wrong place. Took three families, Pastor the church started it, probably had it going for a year and a half to two years and just, just shut it down. I went to visit those three families because I knew they now were in the process of looking for a church. Two of them made it very clear that they weren't coming back. And the one family was just kind of weighing in the balances and they just said, Pastor Crowell, we feel like we kind of burnt that bridge when we left. And, and I said, look, I said, I don't hold that against you. Our church doesn't hold it against you. And I said, if I could just ask you, Just come back one service, just one service. I talked with the wife, I talked with the husband, and and the husband looked at me and he said, Pastor Curl, I promise in the next four weeks we'll give you one service. I started begging God and begging God and said, God, let them know when they came and when they come that this is where they belong. I pulled in the parking lot about the same time they did. I watched them as they got out of their car and they probably weren't 20 feet from their vehicle and one of the ladies in the church saw his wife and called her name and I saw two ladies hugging in the parking lot. No sooner did did they finish their little session and another lady caught her and they were hugging and I watched hug after hug after hug after hug before they made it to the front door. I got into the lobby, and they were standing there, and the husband was there, and I called him by name, and I said, man, you don't know how good it is to see you here. And he said, Pastor Carl, I just want to say one thing. We're home. We're home. We never should have left. But he said, Pastor Carl, we're home. And he he pointed to his wife, and he said, I wasn't prepared for this. I didn't think we'd get hugs this morning. I thought we would have gotten shunned this morning. In my heart, I was convinced. We we, we left, and we went in a a different direction. And he said, I was convinced when we came this morning that we wouldn't be welcomed, that, oh, sure, they're not going to throw stones at us and call us names. But he said, I never expected this. And I told him, I did. I did. We weren't mad at you. We love you. I said, you know how many times I prayed for you and your family? How many times we, we, we counseled together, we shared things together. I said, I didn't just throw that out the window because you went in a di- different direction. But I said, you've got to remember this. I can't let your wrong decision destroy me. But if you can come back, I'll be the first one to say, welcome home. Number nine, John Bishop taught me this. He said, realize that hurting people hurt people. You know what I found when I I look at people that that have caused hurt and caused issues in our church? When I I look and I kind of boil that situation down, here's what I run into. Hurting people hurt people. A preacher that I knew, his his father had a chihuahua, and uh, Daniel knows much about chihuahuas. His grandmother, I think she's done raising them now, but uh, for, for years and years, they had at least 30 chihuahuas in their house at any given time. When the Wagner family would come to our church, and uh, every time Brother Mark comes to our our church and visit the family, I I always say, hey, can you preach for me on Sunday? Can you preach for me on Wednesday? And I'm always asking him to preach. And and he'll say, okay, I'll preach for under one condition. Can we stay in your prophet's chamber? And I said, absolutely. I said, come on, Mark, just put, put the wall down and accept the dogs. Love them like your mom does. And he said, never, ever, ever, ever. What was I going with that? Oh, yes. (laughs) I'm there. I'm there. Hurting people hurt people. So a pastor friend of mine, his dad owned a Chihuahua. A Chihuahua went everywhere with him. You ever seen those people? They go everywhere with their dogs. My mom had dogs like that. And uh, she doesn't anymore, but she did. She has one now, but it stays at home. But... uh, this man's dog traveled with him everywhere. Went to the store, the dog went with him. Went to church, the dog would stay with him. I've got a guy in my church that's got a Labrador retriever that comes to church with him. And it sits in his front seat when he's in the service, you know. And he has to go out, you know, before right before the preaching and give him a little dog treat and check on him. And um, Some people are just that attached to their animals. I, I had one and uh Lord took him home and, and we said we can't replace that. We just can't live that life again. But anyways. So this... Preacher's dad's dog ran out of the house one day, ran straight out to the road, got hit by a car. He could hear it whimpering out there, and the dad ran out there, got out there as quick as he could, and he realized that the dog probably wasn't going to live. And he did out of reaction what anybody would do for an animal that they loved, and he went and he picked that animal up. And this preacher said, the minute my dad picked up his chihuahua that he had raised from a puppy, that he literally was by his side every day, 24-7, the minute he picked that dog up, that dog began to chew on my dad's hands until his hands began to bleed. And he said, here's what my dad realized. That animal was just trying to survive. He didn't know if those hands were helping hands or hurting hands. And it just began to bite and hurt the one who loved him the most. And I've watched people do the same thing. Number 10, and I'm done. Recognize that being hurt can harden you or it can help you. Being hurt can harden you and cause you to get calloused and cause you to to maybe get cold. Or being hurt can help you and cause you to become compassionate and cause you to look at other people that have been hurt and say, you know what? I know what it feels like to be hurt now. I had a pastor friend of mine went through a situation a couple years ago and he called me and said, Brother Crawl," he said, and I know you went through a couple situations at your church. He said, I, I need to ask you a couple questions and he asked me a couple questions and he said, why, why, didn't, why didn't you tell me about all this, Pastor Crawl?" And I said, you know, I said, some birds just got to Care yourself," he said. "What do I do next, Pastor Crow? What do I do?" I said, "Well, sir," I said, "that hurt is going to do one of two things. It's either going to harden you, or it's going to help you." And he said, "Pastor Crow," he said, "I, "I can't, I can't afford to let it harden me." And I said, "You're exactly right. Neither can your church, and neither can your family." And I said, "You'll get through this one, and then there'll be another one." But I said, "Here's what you need to do." Tell yourself right now that as long as I serve God, I'm going to have to serve God while I'm hurting. Fair Baptist Church, there are many of you here tonight that have sacrificed to keep this ministry alive and well. There's some of you that haven't just sacrificed recently. You've sacrificed for years, maybe even decades. Can I say this? Don't stop. We need you. This generation needs you. These college students need you. The ministries of Fairhaven Baptist Church, they need you. You say, Pastor Kroll, I, I, I've been at it for a long time, and it, you know it just hurts sometimes. I understand it does hurt. Can I ask you tonight to look at the big picture tonight? The picture is bigger than what you see here. I asked Brother Ramos a couple weeks ago. I said, "Could you give me a list of all the college graduates, Fair Baptist College?" I started looking at the names. Many of them I didn't even recognize. Many of them, most of them I didn't. It looked like there were over 700 on that list. You know what those graduates need? I'll tell you what they need. They need a church that even though it's hurting, is going to keep serving God. They need a church that's going to keep singing the hymns that we've sung this week, and you sing week in and week out. I see it every week. I see it all the time. Churches are changing. They're changing the book, God's book. They're exchanging the, the, the hymn book for praise and worship. They don't want the old hymns of Zion anymore. I just had a young kid come to our church. He'd been there three or four weeks now, 20 years old, and he's been raised in a praise and worship church. And he said to me last week, he said, Pastor Kroll, he said, I just love these old hymns. They're dying out out there, church. You know what those graduates need? They need a place that that holds the standard high. I I see the young ladies around here. They look like young ladies. I look at the young men. They look like young men. You say, Pastor Kroll, I'm hurting so bad. I know, but keep serving God. Don't quit now. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine years ago. In fact, it was Brother R.B. Woolack. I said, Brother Willette, how do you handle when all these tour groups come in and these colleges want to come in? I said, how do you handle it, Brother Willette?" And he said, Pastor, here's what I do. He said, I've got my secretary, Mrs. Mitchell. And he said, every group that comes, every college that comes, they sit down with Mrs. Mitchell, they sing their repertoire songs, and she says, Brother Willette will approve of this one, this one, this one, and this one. Those are the songs you have to sing. He said, Brother Crow, there's only one college that I know of in America that when they call and they come and they sing in our church, we don't have to, Mrs. Mitchell doesn't have to meet with them. Their songs are always above board. Their songs are always pleasing and Christ-honoring. And I said, I said Brother, what college is that? He said, it's Fairhaven Baptist College. This college is known for its stand. It's known for its, its love and desire to serve God. And I can tell you why. Because there's some people in these pews tonight that even though you've been hurting... are still serving God. I've got three young men in my my church right now. They're planning on coming to Fairhaven Baptist College this fall. They need you. They need you. You say, Pastor Carl, I don't know if I can take it much more. I've seen people come and go. I've seen staff members come and go. I've seen college students come and go. Pastor Crawley. I just don't know if I can take it anymore. You may not see it like I see it. We need you. America needs you. This world needs you. I looked at that college graduate list, and I saw this missionary to this country, and this missionary to this country, There was a missionary on there. His name was Joel Dunbar. Anybody remember Joel Dunbar? His wife is from Cedar Springs, just not too far from us. First time he came, I think he was pretty much done with his deputation. And I met him, just a sweet young man. Sent me a note a couple years after he got to Brazil and said, Pastor I somehow got a hold of some of your messages. And he said, I just want you to know you've been an encouragement to me. I've kept that card on my desk. Just as a reminder, he needs you. He needs a place he can look back to and say, I remember where God touched my heart, where God called me to missions, where God called me to serve him. Church, can I say this? You say, Pastor Crowell, sometimes it hurts so bad. I understand. I know. I've been there too. Just don't stop serving God. Hurting, but still serving God. Heavenly Father, help us God, I thank you for Fairhaven Baptist Church, Fairhaven Baptist College, for all of its ministries. God, I just want to thank you tonight for the people in the pews tonight that have kept this ministry alive and well. Some that no doubt have sacrificed financially, sacrificed their time and their efforts. Maybe sometimes they feel like it's all in vain. God, remind them tonight it's not. When a college like this has hundreds of graduates in the ministry in America and all across this world, I looked at the college students this week and I preached to them on Monday and Tuesday, just precious, precious young people. No telling what you're going to do with them one day as they enter into the ministry and only knew what even is being accomplished today. God, I know in your work, it hurts sometimes. But when I look into the Bible, I don't know that there's a man that was greatly used of God that wasn't hurting while he was serving you. And God, I want to thank you for these precious people here tonight. And may these people not lose their focus and not lose their fire and not lose their zeal. And may they just stay faithful to the place where you've called them, to the church and the ministry that you've called them to. And even though they may have more hurts and pains than the person sitting next to them might even know, in the process of hurting, may they keep serving you. Bless this church, bless its ministry. Bless Pastor and Mrs. Mitchell. Bless the dear staff, bless the college students. Bless the folks of of Fairhaven Baptist Church who have been here through thick and thin and said, by the grace of God, sure, we've experienced some hurt, but we're just gonna keep serving God. In Jesus' name, amen.